Amen. Praise God. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 27 through 29. Matthew 9, verses 27 through 29. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith. According to your faith. Be it unto you. As I've been saying to you over the last few weeks, there's a whole lot that hinges on our faith. A lot of things that are determined by our faith. And even here, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And so I think it is important that we understand faith and what it's all about. And that's what we've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks is to teach a little bit about the elements of faith. And uh, today we'll give you part three that I feel confident is going to be the concluding part of this series of study, the elements of faith. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands, lift our voices, ask the Lord to speak to us today. I need his touch today. I need his strength in a special way. Let's everybody talk to the Lord together right now. In the name of Jesus, let's worship the Lord together, everyone. Let's praise Him before you're seated. Everybody, let's praise the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you would allow me a few moments here to do some review, uh, talk about where we are in this particular study. And um, as I have pointed out to you so many times, every doctrine, every every, uh, set of teachings that we try to embrace from the Word of God must always be built line upon line. Precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. It, it is a sad fact that many, many false doctrines do have some root in the Scripture. But the problem is people have taken a verse of Scripture totally out of its context. And they don't build their doctrines line upon line and precept upon precept. Instead, they pull one verse of Scripture that fits their idea, and they build their teaching on that. And as as I've said many times, there are a lot of folks who use the Word of God 
to try to uh, defend their own positions rather than molding their position to fit the Word of God. In fact, I've, I've used this analogy uh, for a couple of years now that for many people, for many people, the Bible uh, is to them much like a lamp post is to a drunkard. Uh, that, that lamp is giving off light, but the drunkard's not using it for light. He's using it for support. And that's the way a lot of people are with the Word of God. They, they want to support their own weaknesses and failures and flaws. And so they find some scripture that will support those weaknesses and failures and flaws. And they use it for support rather than allowing the Word of God to illuminate their lives and give them direction to get them out of those failures and flaws. And that's what God wants us to do. Amen. The Word of God, and, and let me say this, I haven't said this previous, but it, it fits right here. We do need to understand the difference between condemnation, amen, and conviction. We need to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction that comes from God will always show us not only our error, but how to fix it. Condemnation dwells only on the error itself and tries to keep you down based upon that error. And so what we need to understand is as we go through the Word of God, even with the subject of faith, as we go through the Word of God, rather than saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so terrible, my faith is so weak, I've got, uh, I, I don't have enough faith to see God do the things that He does, rather than, than allowing that condemnation to get you down, when you see that the Word of God says you need to correct this, then take that as conviction and find the cure. Praise God. Amen. And so we have, we have been going through some of the precepts, some of the Bible principles uh, that we see regarding this subject of faith. And some of the things that I have pointed out to you uh, in the very first lesson, I addressed the fact that First and foremost, God expects us to have faith. He, he, he expects that out of us. If you'll notice that when the Bible opens, it's not a science textbook. It doesn't try to explain how God created the heavens and the earth so that you can comprehend it and accept it scientifically. Instead, it just makes the statement that he did. And God expects you to accept that by faith. Hallelujah. And so he expects us to have faith. He expects us to trust him and believe in him. And let me tell you, he's never once given a reason to anybody to not trust him. I don't care what you've gone through in your life. I can tell you right now, God has never let you down. He may not have always done what you wanted him to do. And he may not have always done it with the speed you wanted him to have. But I can tell you he's never let you down. 
He's never abandoned you. He's never forsaken you. God always hears our prayers. Well, hallelujah. Now, having said that, let me tell you, there are some prayers I'm thankful God didn't answer. I don't know if any of you have any of those, but there, there were times, especially as a young child, when I came into the church and didn't have any family members in the church, there were times that I prayed things that years later I looked back and said, oh, God, thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. I'm glad you didn't answer that prayer because he knows what's best for us. And sometimes the answer is not what we want it to be, but it's always what is best. And so there is no valid reason for not trusting God. We ought to have faith in Him. He's never made a promise that He has not kept. He's never spoken a word of prophecy that has not come to pass except maybe those that are yet in the making. Well, hallelujah. But I'm telling you, he's faithful. And we need to learn to accept that fact. We need to get a revelation of his faithfulness. You want to know what would build more faith in us than anything else? Is to get a revelation of his faithfulness. We can have faith in him because he's a faithful God. He expects us to have faith. He expects it. Second thing that we discussed is that all things are possible with God. There is nothing beyond the scope of God's ability. He can do all things. In fact, we talked about how He's able to do exceeding abundantly above whatever we ask or think according to the power that works in us, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. If we can think it, God can do it. In fact, He can do exceeding abundantly above what we can even think. We can't begin to comprehend His ability. All things are possible. Now, they are possible, however. Or maybe I should say they, they will happen. Only if we believe. There is this necessary element of faith. God has the ability to do anything. But God doing it depends on whether we believe He'll do it. I submit to you, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Because again... Even though this is supposed to be review, I'm, I'm kind of introducing some things that I haven't discussed so far. This is why we don't make it very far in the new stuff, because I'm really adding new stuff all the way through the review, too. But, but, but listen to me. We've got to understand. We've got to understand that God is, is waiting on us. To come to grips with his ability. There are things that God wants to do. 
but he waits on us to believe. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you today that sometimes the devil gets us to just say, well, in God's time. Now, why do I say the devil says that? Because, again, I haven't brought this out at any point, but this is another one we can throw in there. I can show you scripture where God completely eradicated or ignored the timeline because of somebody's faith. Let's talk for a minute about the Syrophoenician woman. She was a Gentile. Now, the door to the Gentiles would open, but it would open many, many years later. Are you with me? But here comes a woman who refuses to let go. She believes that Jesus will deliver her daughter. It's not time for the Gentiles. The timeline is set by God. Oh, I want somebody to get a hold of this. In God's time, he'll get to the Gentiles. But I'm here to tell you, faith reached beyond God's time. And faith brought it to pass before the timeline ever got there. And so we can sit around and say, well, in God's time, in God's time, in God's time. And I'm here to tell you that if you'll believe it, Here's the thing, Brother Goff, what, what we don't recognize generally is that time is meaningless to God. It's meaningless. God created time for our sake. But in the beginning, there was no time. And in the end, there will be no time. In fact, I've heard more than one individual talk about being carried away in the spirit and hearing music as it were from heaven. They said it was the most beautiful music they'd ever heard, but there was no timing to it. Now to me, that's hard to fathom because rhythm and timing is such an important aspect of music to us. But when you think about the fact that God doesn't have time, So I'm telling you that, that all these timelines he made for us, but for him, there is no such thing as a timeline. And your faith can step into that realm where he is that's no longer governed by timelines. Oh, I hope you're getting this today. See, the devil wants us to think God's obligated to wait until a certain time. When God gets ready, he'll do this. When the time is right, God will do this. I'm telling you, you can make the time right. The Syrophoenician did. She made the time right. I talked to you about the woman with the issue of blood. The fact is, she got her healing before Jesus even decided whether to heal her or not. She jumped ahead of the timeline. In these other requests, uh, that Jesus would say to them, according to your faith, according to your faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah, 
But this time he didn't have time to say anything. The Bible says that, that he perceived past tense. That, he, that virtue was gone out of him. By the time the man Christ Jesus realized what had happened, the healing was already done. I'm, I'm telling you, God's not bound and obligated by timelines. God is not obligated by timelines. God responds to our faith. He responds to our faith. And if we, if we can have the faith in Him, then all things are possible. Regardless of the timing. I mean, you know, Cornelius, Peter's not even finished with his sermon. And Cornelius received the Holy Ghost. Now, that's not the normal timeline, you understand. Peter should have finished and given an altar call. Right? 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 Peter should have finished his sermon and given an altar call that day, but God just ignored the timeline. Cornelius had faith at that moment, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. It came to pass before the time appointed. I'm telling you, in fact, the book of Isaiah even mentions this. Who's heard such a thing? Can a nation be born in a day? He, he, he begins to ask these questions about things that don't fit the timeline. And then he makes the statement, for as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. He said, that's not the way the timeline works. There should be a natural process here. It ought to take a while. But he said, something happened in that prayer meeting. That sons and daughters were born. As soon. As she started travailing, it just happened. Nine months didn't matter. Timeline didn't matter. There was a prayer of faith that was being prayed, and God said, forget the timeline. That's for you mortals. <laughs> He's the immortal God. He doesn't have to have a timeline. I'm telling you that right now, while I'm teaching this lesson, you don't even have to wait for me to get into the rest of the lesson. If you're needing something from God, you can get it right now. If you can believe, if you can believe, then anything is possible at any time. Which brought us to the next principle, and that is that our faith is the catalyst that brings the answer. We talked about how the apostle wrote in the book of Hebrews that they heard the same message we heard, but it, it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And it was mixing it with faith 
that caused the word to profit. Uh, again, I, I've got to get beyond this review. But, but look, I've watched this happen. I can't tell you how many times in my years of pastoring. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this work. That you have, you have people walk out of a service and say, man, God really ministered to me. Oh, I got such a touch from God. I heard from God. And other people walk out and say, what was that all about? I didn't get anything. That service didn't do me any good. Now, they both heard the same message. They both sang the same song. How can one get something and the other not get it? Well, I think the apostle gave us that answer. It's not mixed with faith. If you're not mixing the word with faith, then the word is not benefiting you. If you're not mixing your worship with faith, then your worship is not benefiting you. In fact, if you're not mixing your attendance here with faith, if you're just here to be here, but you're not expecting anything, you're not believing God for anything, then really it just has become a social meeting and not church. But if you walk in the door saying, God's going to do something today. God's going to meet a need today. God's going to take care of a problem today. God's going to fill a soul with the Holy Ghost today. God's going to heal my body today. You walk in the door and mix this service with faith, and I'm telling you that, that the possibilities are limitless. Faith is the catalyst. Faith is what makes everything else active. If you study what a catalyst is in chemistry, you can have all these ingredients that don't do anything until you add the one ingredient that is called the catalyst. And that one ingredient activates everything else. It makes everything else start working. Everything's dormant until you add that catalyst. And that's what faith is, whether we're talking about preaching or worship or church attendance or fasting or outreach. Whatever, whatever the topic spiritually, if faith is not there, there's no catalyst to make your efforts work. Saints of God, listen, and I, I, I don't want to, I really don't want to dwell on this. I want to get through this lesson today, but I just feel some things. We've got to understand the reason so many of us struggle with outreach is because we don't see results. Let's just be honest. We invite people and they don't come. We talk to folks, they say they're coming, they don't come. And that discourages us and we think, what's the use? But I want to ask you a question. When you invite folks, are you mixing it with faith? It's kind of like we've heard the story that the salesman, you know, is just learning and he's scared to death. And 
And he would go to the door and knock on the door and say, um, you don't need any of this, do you? You know how many sales he's going to make? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not any at all. Because he starts out by convincing them they don't need it. And I think that it, when we start knocking doors or handing out church cards or talking to people about God or about the church, if we're not putting faith in that, then we're doing more to convince them not to come. Because we don't really believe. You say, well, I just don't know if they're really hungry. Leave that to God. Oh, Jesus, I, I don't need to be, but I'm here, so what can I do? I do remember a story in the scripture where the disciples toiled all night and didn't catch a thing. And Jesus showed up, and he said, now cast your nets on the other side. Lord, we've tried this already. It didn't work. But at your word, we'll do it. Can I tell you, they caught far more fish than their nets could handle. What was the difference, Brother Hilton? The difference was Jesus stirred up hunger in those fish. Because the disciples said, at your word, we're doing this out of faith that your word is going to bring results. We don't see any evidence right now. We haven't seen any evidence all night long. But your word has been spoken, and we're going to put some faith in your word. And because of that faith, every fish in that area got hungry all of a sudden. And I'm telling you, the same thing is true. We are fishers of men. Maybe the reason we're toiling and toiling and toiling and not seeing anything is because we've never mixed it with faith. But if somehow... We could put some faith into this effort. The Lord would start stirring up hunger among the fish. And we'd see our nets full. I'm thank we're seeing some things, and I'm thankful for what we're seeing, but I'm trying to help the rest of you. Trying to help the rest of you. Don't get discouraged. Be not weary in well-doing. Amen. Amen. Mix it with faith. Mix it with faith. Now, another principle that we dealt with, and I'm, I'm trying to get through this, but another principle we dealt with was how much we receive is directly proportionate to how much we believe. We set the limits. We set the parameters based on our belief. We talked about the man that when Jesus touched him, he saw ministry. The problem was not in Jesus' touch. Because every other blind man that I see him touching saw perfectly immediately. The problem was not in Jesus' touch. It was obviously in the amount of faith the man had. But as I pointed out to you, the fact of the matter is the man evidently used that amount of faith. Can we say it this way? He had about half the faith he needed. But that half brought him halfway in his healing. Now all he needs is half the faith again. That's what he had to begin with. And rather than letting that halfway healing discourage him, he used that half again and brought about the complete healing. I'm telling you, 
Use what you've got. Don't let the devil beat you down. Just because you don't have as much faith as you'd like to have doesn't mean you're not going to see anything at all. Even minute faith can bring mountainous results. Do I need to say that again? Even minute faith can bring mountainous results. How much can you believe Him for? How much can you believe Him for? Just one soul? All right, then believe Him for that one. And when that one comes in, believe Him for just one more. And when that one comes in, believe Him for just one more. Oh, I was believing for ten and only one came. Okay, fine. But you had enough faith to see the one. So believe for one more. You keep doing that ten times and you're going to see ten people come in. It's really not complicated, church. It's really not hard. Well, how much we receive, how much we receive is directly proportionate to how much we believe. And then we started into, last week, we started into this principle that there are varying degrees of faith. And we started enumerating those. We started with no faith. The Bible the Bible does not record that the man who was paralyzed, that was let down into Jesus' present presence, the Bible doesn't record that that man had any faith. In fact, when you look at it grammatically, the verses indicate that it was the faith of his four friends that brought the man his miracle. He had no faith. But he did allow his friends to have faith for him. And the end result was he still got his healing. And this is what I mentioned last week. So you say, you know, I really need a touch from God, but I don't have the faith. Well, why don't you come down and let the faith of others stand in the gap for you? Let them believe. It worked for the paralytic. In fact, he got more than he bargained for. He came in there strictly to be healed. But Jesus, first of all, said, your sins are forgiven. So he not only got a physical healing, he got a spiritual healing. And all based upon the faith of his friends. You can get more than what you even bargained for if you'll let your friends have faith for you. When you don't make a move at all, then we don't have the opportunity to have faith for you. Well, praise God. So that's the first degree is, is no faith at all. And then there's little faith. Little faith. And how many times did Jesus look at his disciples and say, oh, ye of little faith. And as I pointed out last week, we, we've often taken that as a rebuke. I'm not so sure it's a rebuke as much as it is a reminder. Because Jesus said, if you've got faith even as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and it's going to obey. So Jesus said, even that 
mustard seed faith can move mountains. So when he says to them, oh, ye of little faith, is that really a rebuke or is it a reminder that, hey, you may not have had much faith, but what faith you've got would have worked if you would have just used it. If you'll quit focusing on the amount of doubt and unbelief that you have and focus on the amount of faith that you have, talked about the man who brought his son to Jesus and Jesus he said to Jesus if you can do anything help us and Jesus said to him if you can believe all things are possible and the man responded I believe but help my unbelief he admitted I've got some doubt why wouldn't he He'd already brought him to the disciples, and they hadn't done anything for the boy. Right? Wouldn't that have caused some doubt in your mind? I mean, the Bible tells even prior to Pentecost of these disciples going out and performing miracles. Jesus sent them out on numerous occasions and told them to heal the sick and cast out devils, and they did it. But with this boy, they didn't. Wouldn't that have dampened your faith? But the thing is, this man didn't dwell on his unbelief. He just admitted it and said, Lord, help me. But I do want you to know, somewhere in the midst of all this doubt, there is some faith there too. The fact that he kept hanging on and kept asking showed there was some faith. And the end result of a little faith? He got his miracle. No faith, they got their miracle. A little faith, they got their miracle. And then we moved on to great faith. And this was that Syrophoenician who just kept asking. She went to the disciples, they turned her away. She went to Jesus, he ignored her. She went back to Jesus, he called her a dog. She went back again. And Jesus said, I've not seen this great a faith in Israel. Now, what I was pointing out to you, this is where we closed last week's lesson, is that Jesus equated persistence with great faith. Again, I've, I've heard folks get this totally wrong. They say, if you keep asking, that means you doubt. I don't believe that. This woman kept asking, and Jesus said she had greater faith than any of the Jews. So I guess it really just depends on your perspective. If you keep asking because you don't believe it, but then my, my mind says, why would you keep asking if you don't believe it? There's got to be some faith down in there somewhere or you wouldn't keep asking. Look, I don't make a list out at Christmas time and mail it to Santa Claus. You know why? Because I don't have any faith. I have no faith that some man 
in a red suit at the North Pole is going to bring me what I asked for. I've got no faith. In fact, I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't, teach, I didn't teach my kids about family. I didn't. I, I didn't want my kids to ever grow up and say, you lied to me. And I know some folks see it as harmless. But to me, it was a lie. And I just wasn't going to lie to my kids. I wanted them to know that whatever daddy said, they could always count on it being the truth. That was just me. Of course, it caused problems for my kids sometimes. They'd be places and tell other kids there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> I remember one of them, I don't remember which one, but I do remember being in a store sometime. We were checking out, and the lady at the counter asked one of my girls, said, is Santa Claus coming to your house in a few days? She said, nope. And the clerk said, oh, sure she is. You're a sweet little girl. Sure she Nope. Santa Claus not coming to our house. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any faith. I don't even have one little shred of hope. But there are things that I keep going back to God about. I haven't seen an answer yet. But you know why I keep going back? Because I have faith that he is able to do it. And I've seen him answer so many prayers. I've seen him answer some, some very insignificant prayers. Prayers that really didn't matter a whole lot to a lot of folks. They weren't life and death situations. My health didn't depend on it. My family didn't depend on it. Just little things that bothered me. But I just believed it when the scripture said, casting all your care upon him. Because he cares for you. And I've watched him answer those insignificant prayers. So many Look, I, I've, I've been sitting at the wheel of a car. I couldn't get started, and I've prayed. Now, I could have called somebody to come jump me off or come see what's going on, see what the problem is, and probably eventually did. But at the moment, I just needed to get somewhere. and I knew a God that was able, and he cares about everything. And I said, Lord, would you please let this car start? And it just fired right up. I've watched God do it. My, my, my brother's father-in-law, he's gone on to his reward now. He was a unique man, but he needed to, he lived in Texas. He needed to go see family members out in California. And they had an old uh, beat-up vehicle of some kind. He did good to make it across town in that car. But he went to our pastor, and he said, look, I really need to get out there to see my family. I've got some things I need to get out there. Would you, would you just pray for my car that we could make it there and back? And my pastor said, well, sure. 
And, and so he literally took a bottle of oil and went out and anointed that car and prayed for that car. That man got back home. He got up to testify. And, and this was his testimony. He said, we were driving out across the, the Rocky Mountains. He said, brand new cars pulled over, overheating. And he said, ours just passing them by. He said, we never had a minute's trouble. We got out to California, spent our time, drove around, turned around, drove back across the Rocky Mountains, got home. And he said, when I pulled up in the driveway, it died and hadn't started since. <laughs> he said, but that's all I asked God to do is let me get out there. He said, I should have been more specific. But he said, that's what I asked God to do, and God did it. I'm telling you, God cares about us. And great faith, great faith is when we just keep asking. We keep asking. We keep asking. We keep asking. In fact, Elder Verbal Bean put it this way. He called it memorial prayer. He made reference to Cornelius, that the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up before God as a memorial. Elder Bean said, it's like, and I know, I think one or two places may have started this again a few years ago, but when I was a kid, there wasn't, a lot, there wasn't credit cards and, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't buy things that way. You paid cash for whatever, but, but there were stores that started a layaway plan. I know I'm speaking foreign language to you young whippersnappers. But I'm going to tell you, us kids were very thankful for layaway. Because what layaway plan did is, is they would go to the Kmart. Usually this is before the days of Walmart. I know this makes me sound really old. Walmart, no Walmart, layaway. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'm reliving my childhood. That's what I'm doing, but. Anyhow, so so I can remember, I can remember uh, mom throwing coats over her basket or whatever to cover up what was in there and go stand in the line at the layaway. And, and what layaway would do is you'd tell them, these are the things I want to buy, and then you'd make a payment. And it, it wasn't financed. There wasn't an interest charge on it. You just you're just making payments, but you didn't get you didn't get the merchandise until the last layaway payment was made. So you'd you'd pay in installments, and and ever so often she'd go to to the Kmart and she'd go back to the customer service counter and she'd make another payment on that layaway, leading up for for Christmas Eve when she'd be able to go and finally get that buggy and. And that, that cart and get all that stuff that she'd been paying on for those months. And you know, it might just be a $10 payment. And she might walk away with $50 worth of toys. For $10. But see, she didn't just pay $10 for those $50 worth of toys. She paid $50 for it. But she paid it out. She just didn't get it till the last payment was made. And Elder Bean said, that's the way sometimes our prayers are. We've got to understand, we prayed today, that's just the first payment. And we pray again tomorrow, that's another payment. And only God knows how many payments are needed for this layaway plan. But one day you're going to make the final payment. 
And God's going to show up and say, here it is. You've paid long enough. Now, I related this many years ago. I was pastoring in South Texas, and, and I got to talking about this whole memorial praying and making payments. And there was a lady in the church, and her husband was a backslider, and he was not living for God. I couldn't get him to come to church for anything. And uh, even thought I'd outsmarted him one time. His brother graduated from our Christian school. And so we had graduation, but I brought in a preacher for graduation. And so this backslider showed up for the graduation, but as soon as the preacher got up to preach, he got up and left. And uh, he, wasn't, he was not going to sit there for a church service. He just wasn't. And uh, he, had, he had turned his heart against God and against the church and didn't seem to have any interest. And this wife, after I got through teaching that Sunday morning, she came to me and she said, Brother Regan, she said, i got to be honest with you. I had made up my mind. I wasn't praying for my husband anymore. He just wasn't going to come. It wasn't going to happen. She said, I was convinced. I was wasting my time. She said, but because of what you said today, I'm going to start praying. Can I tell you, it wasn't that long before he showed up for a revival service. And we didn't even get to the preacher. And he came running down to the front with tears streaming down his face. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you what happened. She almost gave up. Now, now look, we, we saw that happen sometimes. These layaway plans, you know, you, you get to where, well, I just can't afford to make the payment. You might already have $40 invested in these $50 worth of goods. And you say, I just can't afford to pay that last $10. And, and you lose it all. You think about how much you've already invested and then you've thrown it all away over just a couple of payments. Well, the thing is, we don't know when it comes to prayer just how many more payments God wants out of us. And it could be that even today is the very last payment on your layaway plan. This could be the one time that God says, paid in full. Oh, I want somebody to get a hold of this today. This is why you've got to be persistent. This is why you've got to keep asking. This is why you can't stop asking God. Just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. God calls that great faith. Right. That's great faith. Now, we weren't finished with that. Oh, Lord Jesus. Some of you didn't have enough faith. We're not going to finish this early. That's just page one of my notes. Let's see how far we can make it now in these last few minutes. All right. But there is a step beyond great faith. There's a step even beyond great faith. Read for me, Brother Goff, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. A certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, 
that he would be that he was worthy for for whom he should do this for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue then Jesus went unto them and when he was not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying unto him lord trouble not thyself for i am not worthy that thou shouldest enter into my roof wherefore neither thought i myself worthy to come unto thee but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Now let, me, let, me, let me just stop right here because we'll, we'll come to this in a few moments. But I want you to notice what this man said. He said, I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof. I'm not worthy to even come to you. Isn't that what a lot of people struggle with in their faith? I'm not worthy for God to do this. Well, this man admits twice he's not worthy. But it didn't stop him from believing. It wasn't about his worthiness or the lack thereof. It was about his faith in God. Read. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus had, when heard, Jesus had heard these heard things, these things. He, look at this, he marveled he, at him. Wait a minute, he what? Marveled. Jesus stood in awe. Jesus was shocked. Jesus was amazed at what he heard. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jesus Christ, God in flesh, amazed at what some human being has just said. He marveled. And what did he do? And turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto I you, say unto you I, have not found so I have not great faith. found so great faith. No, not no, in Israel. not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been, been, had been sick. Now, look, this is another example of exceeding the timeline. You understand what's going on here? This is a centurion. This is a Roman this is a Gentile. That's why the people went through this whole thing saying, Oh Lord, Lord, he is worthy because he loves our nation. This man built us a synagogue. Well, that's unusual for the Romans to do that for the Jews. The people are letting Jesus know we believe he is worthy. Even though he's a Gentile, we believe he's worthy. But see, the time of the Gentiles was not yet. But it was not what the people said that brought the result. It's what the man himself said. 
he started saying, I'm not worthy. God, no, 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 no. I don't care what they're saying. I'm not worthy. But this much I know. I understand authority. And I understand that when I speak, things happen. And I know, Lord, you don't even have to show up at my house. You speak, and something's going to happen. To be accurate, he said, I am a man set under authority. So one of the reasons he understood this is because his superiors could simply speak. And he responded. In fact, I submit to you that's why those under him were so willing to respond. Because they saw that same submission in his life. He didn't say I'm a man who has authority, but I'm a man set under authority. And because I'm set under authority, when I speak, those under me respond because they see that's what I do. So he understood authority both as the one under authority and the one in authority. And he said to Jesus, all you've got to do is speak the word. And if you'll speak the word, we don't have to go any farther. And Jesus marveled at this. And he said, I've never found this level of faith anywhere. This is the greatest faith, if you please. He doesn't use that term, but, but that's the best way I know to describe it. This faith goes above any other faith I've ever seen. And what is that faith? That faith is it only takes speaking the word. Now, let me explain what I mean. The Bible gives us certain ways that things happen, certain ways that prayers are answered, certain ways that miracles are performed, and, and people are healed. And in many of those, there is what I call a point of contact. Let me, let me give you an example. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, anointing oil, him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here's a point of contact. James said, if you're sick, come and let the elders anoint you with oil. There's a point of contact. And then he went on to say, in, in verse 15, that the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. So we understand that there is this point of contact here, where there's a physical touch, and that physical touch helps to build faith. We also see Acts chapter 19, verse 12. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now, this happened because of these handkerchiefs, of these aprons that had been sent from the body of the Apostle Paul. Again, they had something that provided a point of contact. They could take that prayer cloth and put it on the sick, 
There is some physical touch there, some contact being made that helps to boost the faith of the one needing the miracle. Are you following me? Yes, sir. But Jesus said there's a level of faith where you don't need that point of contact. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't anoint with oil. It's there because some people need it. I'm not saying we shouldn't send out prayer cloths. It's there because some people need it. But I'm just telling you we can reach a place in our faith that nobody's got to touch you. Nobody's got to lay hands on you. In fact, let me just say this, church. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I have seen this happen so many times in services that the Holy Ghost starts moving and people are back there and, and they've got their eyes closed and they're praying silently. And what they're praying is, Lord, let them come back here and lay hands on me. And they're sitting there waiting on somebody to come touch them for them to get what they need. It's kind of like the man that laid at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus walked up to him and said, do you want to be healed? And his response was, I don't have anybody to help me. That's not what I asked. Lord, they all get there before I do. That's not what I asked. Do you want to be healed? That's the question. And this is what people need to understand. When the Holy Ghost is moving, rather than you sitting there saying, Oh, Lord, just let the pastor come pray for me. Oh, Lord, let that preacher come pray for me. You need to jump into the water. Don't wait on somebody to come to you. Because Jesus is already passing your way. And you want to know what would move the heart of God more than anything? Is for you to experience some of that greatest faith. That says, look, it's been spoken. That's all I need. Nobody's got to touch me. Nobody's got to lay hands on me. Nobody's got to do anything else. It's been spoken. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to believe it. It's going to happen. Read for me Luke chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Now, this man, this man was not the only one that he said, he said, Lord, if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And that's what happened. The servant was healed. Nobody touched this servant. Nobody laid hands on the servant. Jesus didn't even go to the house. But the man got his healing. Now, that's not the only example. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, in the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Now, now I want you to, to see this. The whole multitude sought to touch him. The literal Greek, this makes it sound like something that had happened, but, but the literal Greek is the whole multitude was seeking to touch him. In other words, they wanted to, 
But evidently they couldn't get there. The crowd was too large. And they couldn't get to him to touch him. And yet, what was the last thing that said in that verse? For there went virtue out of him. There went virtue out of him. And healed them and all. And healed them all. Nobody touched him. He didn't touch them. But virtue went out. And everybody got healed. You want to know what needs to happen at the Truth Church? We need to let our faith rise to a place that in a service just like this, there is virtue flowing. Nobody's got to lay hands on you. Nobody's got to get the bottle of oil. Nobody's got to touch you. The only thing is I know that the healer is in the house right now. I know that the miracle worker is in this place. The Holy Ghost baptizer is here. And I don't have to wait for somebody to lay hands on me. I don't have to wait for somebody to pray a prayer of faith over me. I believe the word. I believe the word. Well, praise God. That's why Luke 7 and 9, Jesus said what he did. We're skipping a verse here, but read Luke 7 and 9 again. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so I have great, not found so great, great faith. faith. No, not no, in Israel. Not in the greatest faith accepts God's word and needs nothing more. I'm going to tell you, I will never forget. Young boy, a new convert, my, my family knew in the church, they're new converts. And I, and I've told this story before for the sake of those who haven't heard it. Please bear with me. But I, I, I came down with something. I don't, I still to this day, I don't know what was wrong with me. I know that my fever got dangerously high. And my mother and my aunt were doing their best to try to bathe my body with cold water and do things and trying to get my temperature down, doing everything they could do. And then all of a sudden, I began losing blood. It was coming out of both nostrils. It, it would not stop. And we tried everything to get the blood to stop, and nothing would stop it. And my mother finally just brought a bucket to the side of my bed, and I just laid my head off the bed and just let it flow. We couldn't stop the blood. And my aunt had actually been raised around some apostolic folks. She was not in the church at the time. 
if memory serves me correctly, she later came in. I don't think she was at this time, but she had been raised around some apostolic folks, had relatives that were apostolic. She told my mom, she said, you know what? She said, I've got a scripture marked in my Bible that stops blood. She said, I'm going to go home and get that. And so she drove to her house, which was just a matter of a few blocks away, got her Bible, found the scripture, came back to our house, handed the Bible to my mom. And my mom started reading from the book of Ezekiel. When I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And I said, read it again, Mom. And she read it again. I said, read it again. Just keep reading it. And she stood at my bed and read that scripture. And we watched as the blood started to coagulate. And the flow stopped at the reading of the word. Nobody laid hands on her. Nobody prayed a prayer. I just had faith in that book. Now, some years later, I heard a preacher say, we don't need that scripture. And he didn't know where it was. He said, we don't need that scripture in Jeremiah. Stopping blood. We got the name of Jesus. Well, it's not in Jeremiah, first of all. Second of all, we, we need to understand he's magnified his word even above his name. In fact, his name is only powerful because of the truth of his word. Isn't that how we get a good name? When our word means something. When people can trust our word, then our name is respected. He's magnified his word above his name. And I'm going to tell you, if there's a scripture, if I could find a scripture that would bring down fever, I'd use that. If I could find a scripture that would cure a common cold. I'd use that. I don't care. Whatever scripture's in there, if there's a scripture to deal with it, let's do it. Now, that scripture really, I've learned and study, wasn't really about stopping blood. But I'll tell you this, I just had faith in the word of God. And God honored that faith without anybody praying a prayer. I want somebody to get a hold of this today. I want somebody to understand that the greatest faith you can have is simply to take him at his word. I'm declaring to you today you can be healed right now. I'm declaring to you today you can be filled with the Holy Ghost right now. I'm declaring to you today your financial need can be met right now. I'm declaring to you your family situation can be resolved right now. Can you accept the word of God? Can you believe what he says? I don't have 
to lay hands on you. I don't have to anoint you with oil. I know what I'm feeling right now, and I'm feeling virtue in this house. I'm feeling virtue in this house. I'm telling you, somebody can get their healing right now. Somebody can have their need met right now, right now. I don't have to pray for you. I don't have to lay hands on you. I don't have to anoint you with oil. The Word of God, the Word of God is all you need. Come on, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. Let God do it right now. What do you need from God? What do you need? Your faith, oh, I feel it. Woo. Your faith can cross God's timeline right now. You can get your answer at this moment. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. The devil's telling some of you, you've tried before, you've tried before. Didn't work before, didn't work before. Yeah, I know, but just remember those disciples. We toiled all night, Lord, but nevertheless, at thy word. At thy word. I'm going to reach out one more time. I'm casting my net out one more time. At your word, God, I'm doing it one more time. Jesus, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Oh, let's everybody stand. Let's stand. I got more notes. I probably just forget the rest of this and not come back to it and make a part four. Most likely, I don't know. I don't think I got enough for a part four, but I didn't think I had enough for part three, and here we are. Who knows? I did add a bunch of things last night that I hadn't got to yet today. So who knows what next week will hold, but 
I just know what I'm feeling right now, and I don't want to press beyond this. I feel miracle-working power in this house. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was feeling pretty rough when I took the pulpit, but, boy, in that moment when I felt, I felt that charge of the Holy Ghost, I, I'm here to tell you, I felt a touch in my body. I feel strength. I feel like God did something. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell the devil, I don't care what he does to me physically, I'm going to keep preaching faith. I'm going to keep preaching faith. I know... Say, but I said I know. Let me let me let me let me rephrase that. I doubt. I doubt. What's well, a big change in it? I know. I doubt. But I was going to say I. I know he doesn't, and so I doubt that Brother Jerry remembers. But the first time I preached in this church, I preached, well, the first Sunday night, I should say, that I preached in this church. That Sunday morning, I preached about peace. But that Sunday night, I preached faith. Now, here's, here's the thing. I... I wrestled with God that night, that afternoon, because we were only a few weeks. This church was only a few weeks from having lost their pastor, from having watched Elder Hilton pass away before their eyes. It had only been a few weeks. They'd prayed for God to revive him, and God didn't. And I kept trying to tell God that Sunday afternoon, Lord, this is the worst thing I can preach right now. This is not the right time to preach faith. I know that there has to be a lot of hurt and questions. It's just not a good time to preach faith. But I couldn't get away from it. And I think if, if nothing else, God was saying to me, I want you to preach faith no matter what the circumstances are. I want you to preach faith no matter how bad things get. Can I tell you, church, as a church, we've walked through some dark times, and you may not have realized it, but there are many times that I stepped to this pulpit and just preached faith in the midst of some really dark hours because I'm determined. And, and I want the devil to know 
even if it's me and my own situations, he's not going to steal my faith. I believe God. I believe God. I have watched God do too many things. I've seen Him perform too many miracles. And I believe another reason why God wanted me to preach faith that night is because He wants this to be a faith church. He wants this to be a church that is full of faith. God has already told us through men of God the kinds of things that we are to experience. The miracles He wants to perform right here. I'm telling you, God is looking for us to really believe Him. So I'm going to keep preaching faith. I'm going to keep preaching faith. When I feel good and when I don't feel good, I'm going to preach faith. When life's going well and when everything's falling apart, I'm going to preach faith. When everything looks like it's about to collapse, I'm still going to preach faith. Because I know my God. I've learned that I can depend on Him. He's going to come through. Saints of God. God wants to answer your prayers. He desires. It is your Father's good pleasure, the Bible says, to give unto you the kingdom. God enjoys doing things for His church. Do any of you that are parents enjoy doing things for your kids? Where do you think we got that? We got it from the Heavenly Father. He's the one that taught us. He's the one that put it in us because He loves to do things for His children. God gets great pleasure out of answering our prayers. The devil doesn't want you to believe that. The devil doesn't want you to accept that. But I'm telling you, this is the will of God. God wants to show us His glory. And you hear me in this hour, in this hour of the church, God wants to show His glory like never before. God wants to show this old world just how powerful He really is. With all the fakes that are out there, God wants the world to know there really is something that's real. Oh, let's lift our hands and love Him one more time, can we? Let's love Him one more time.